I think we should really be calling it climate century because that's where we need to be right now. So. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Tuesday, September 21st, almost the first day of autumn. I'm Eric Planey. I'm Lucas Finko. And together, again, at last, we are the Pirates of Clean Tech. Yar! Yar. 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 <laughs> Uh, I have to say, last week was our first episode back in a while after a dramatic pause in the Pirates, and uh, I think we shook some of the rust off, but I was so amazed at all of the feedback and reception, positive vibes we got from um, text messages and emails from people welcoming us back, so it felt like we didn't leave. I don't know how you felt, Lucas. Yeah, we're back. It's good to be back. It's good to be engaged again, and it's good to be talking to our listeners. Uh, We're happy you're here. And welcome back. And yeah, lots to talk about, lots to explore. So uh, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. And just to let you know, I'm having, of course, some AV issues, which uh, my computer loves to get buggy on me. So if I get a little blurry and and sound goes out a little bit, I apologize. One day we're going to be a more sophisticated setup, hopefully sooner (laughs) than later. We're going to find that miracle studio that will take us in. And that miracle sponsor to pay for it all, right? Yes. So, you sponsored out there. We're looking for you. <laughs> now that I'm somewhat unencumbered, feel free to call us anytime. Pick up the phone, call me. <laughs> <laughs> We're at dollar sign at piratesofcleantech.org. <laughs> Some great stuff coming out. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, it's hot off the presses. The Bolt EV line is running again at GM. I'm so happy they have found the solution to their battery problems. I'm super happy. Yay! Yes, congrats. You know, <laughs> I felt really bad for GM because I think GM is making all efforts to go EV all in. Probably one of the strongest OEMs to really embrace it after Tesla. Uh, and they have this issue. One thing I read that's very interesting, and this affects me because of my hometown, the Altium battery plants that are going up, one in Ohio, and I think the second one may be Tennessee. This is a different technology than what LG is using in the Bolt right now. So there's GM came out and said this is not affecting production plans on their other vehicles that are coming out in the near future, like the new Cadillac, oh, new Hummer, et cetera. Good. good. Okay. I was worried about that. Yeah. Cause they, you know, they banked the company on EVs and now they're having problems with batteries. I mean, e. so, okay. Yep. Full disclosure. I am a GM shareholder. So just make sure people know that. Um, here in New York, by the way, uh, it is New York City is calling it Climate Week, or I think New York State, um, which we love. But at the same time, I think we should really be calling it Climate Century because that's where we need to be right now. So great that there's some announcements. I saw Governor Hochul, our new governor, announce a new transmission system, two systems that are going to be feeding green power into New York City. That was a big announcement yesterday. Oh. There's all kinds of other uh, seminars. You didn't see that? No, I didn't. Yeah, That's fantastic. Hot off the press that came yesterday. So maybe we'll go a little more in-depth with that, or maybe we'll have a nice certain guest uh, over the next couple of weeks to talk a little bit more about it. But um, we're very excited about this. This is a great announcement. Uh, and there's just all kinds of buzz this week, uh, everywhere from the UN to uh, you know local initiatives taking place throughout the city and the state. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about Climate Week is there are a lot of events that you should get involved with. So please attend as many events as you can. Talk to as many people as you can, spread ideas, you know, talk to other people that are in industries you wouldn't think about. Go talk to them, right? And let them know how you 
how you see clean energy in the, the climate debate and, and also listen, right? Ask questions and listen to other people and see what you can learn. Um, so it's a great idea for that. And yes, it should be climate day every day, really. I mean, how long are we going to wait while we see these climate projections get worse and worse and worse and worse every year? They keep getting worse. When are we going to do something, right? So, Exactly. You know. And honestly, I think the downside of Climate Week are the, is the fact that there are so many events. Because not everybody has a chance to you know, give up everything going on in their daily lives and yeah. listen to five seminars, eight web, you know, webcasts. You know, just stick with us. That's all I have to say. Stick with the pirates. We'll guide you through everything. Well, we'll get you through. So, okay. So with those two bad news, uh, sorry, with those two good news articles, there's one bad one. Uh, there's a big expose on uh, Financial Times, which is um, Eric's favorite uh, news source for financial news, uh, <laughs> talking about ESG funds and how they're investing in non-ESG uh, investments. So I don't know, Eric, you want to dig into that? You know, just uh, that you sent it to me this morning, Lucas, before we taped, uh, it's not something we hadn't realized is happening. And I think what I need to really understand, and maybe we'll get an expert on to talk about these funds. I still think that they net net have a benefit because companies recognize the fact that they do have to get greener and there's going to be more accountability and transparency. Unfortunately, we're in this interim bridge period, which is good and bad. It could be good in the fact that companies, I think, have a little more flexibility right now to identifying what is green for their company and their industry and execute on that. That's a company that's a good citizen, good steward of really trying to do something monumental to change your company and their performance in order for them to attract shareholders looking for green. The downside to it, because there isn't that transparency fully just yet, there isn't the set of um, accountability systems from accounting firms, et cetera. There's an opportunity to just do a little bit more greenwashing than usual, which is just saying that you're doing green things, but actually not executing. And that capital, the FT article is saying, that capital is being diverted into these funds when it can be deployed to other companies that are actually truly working to address climate change. Yeah, but I would also say, you know, being involved in the, the clean energy investment space, there are not enough good clean energy investments out there to put this money into. Mm. So that's another kind of defense on this. You know, they're really chasing for investments to put this money into because investor demand is so huge. Um, you know, I just saw another uh, former financial official launched a, a clean tech fund last week. Um, so there's tons of money chasing and there's not a lot of good investments. I mean, I don't mean to be insulting to clean energy startups. There are a ton of smart people with a lot of good ideas, but you know, it's got to pass muster on a lot of different levels, right? It's got to be profitable. It's got to be, you know, a product that people will buy or service people will use or service people will pay for. So, you know, getting through muster on a lot of these things, you got to have the right people involved. You got to have, you know, them all working hard and pushing through. And, you know, that's, there's not a lot of investments that filter through that and, and turn out to be like great investments. So there's too much money chasing too few good investments. And, you know, you see that in the SPAC craze, we see crazy valuations when these clean tech companies go SPAC and, you know, that doesn't necessarily help either because then they crash and then investors get frustrated. So, is, yeah, it's so complicated, so tough. We need more good clean tech investments. We need people with good ideas that are profitable, that are willing to work long, hard hours to make this work. And then I think you will find investors that are willing to work with you. I can pretty much guarantee you. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's a good time for us to segue into uh, our disclaimer, which is, you know, we like to talk about these things. We like to talk about these investments. When you are making an investment, please talk to your financial representative who is a licensed financial advisor, because, uh, you know, they're going to give you a little bit more of on the ground on specific ETFs, investment funds, et cetera. Um, but it is really important. Um, I agree with you 100%, Lucas. There are too few opportunities to be investing into right now. And uh, we have yeah. to, maybe that'll change. Um, but we're going to have some lumps until then. That's just the reality of it. You're going to have, for every three or four great actors, you're going to have one or two bad ones until until the accounting systems and the transparency is up there. Yeah. And like, I didn't name any, I didn't name any companies on purpose there. Um, if you're really interested in this, and and I think you should be, you should take the time to investigate some of these. I mean, you can just do a Google search for, for clean tech startups or clean tech listed companies. Um, you know, you can do your own due diligence, look into the company. What's the technology? How does it work? Yeah. Right. Ask simple questions, look at their presentations, you know, do your homework. You can find some good investments out there um, and be a part of this clean energy investment. You don't need much money nowadays, right? With Robinhood, uh, $0 trades. So, any amount of money can can help you participate in kind of the clean tech uh, investment space. Yep, yep, good point. So, uh, you ready? A lot going on. A lot going on. Um, yeah, we should get the articles. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I'm, I'm going to go first. Is that okay, Eric? No, please, please. Right. You, have, you have some really good stuff this week. All right, I had to bring this one up first because I'm super excited about it. This is from September 13th. Uh, oh, it was updated a couple of days ago. House Committee approves 150 billion dollar clean electricity performance program. This is right up our alley. This is DC doing something good for us. So I'm really happy about this. This is a course from Utility Dive, uh, which is my favorite dive uh, by Jason Plotz. Basically talking about, you know, we've heard about this infrastructure bill and all the trillions, blah, blah, blah. But what is it really? Like, is anybody telling you what this really is? So here's what it really is. Uh, part of it is this uh, clean electricity performance program. This is to incentivize people to move to clean electricity, uh, be more energy efficient, uh, get a, get an energy audit um, and stuff like this. So really excited about this. It's $150 billion. We've shown time and time again, that these investments pay out, uh, you know, multiples of what the investment put in is. Um, there's also energy efficiency retrofits. There's new vehicle uh, EV infrastructure funding for clean energy and disadvantaged communities right? Upgrading the electric grid, which is what we just talked about with transmission lines. That's huge. Uh, we still need smart grid. We need transmission lines. I recommend this article. Go check it out. Um, learn all you can. Call your representative. You can call your rep or your senator. Tell them to support this bill. Uh, it definitely needs the support, regardless of whether it gets into the $3.5 trillion whatever bill. Uh, we still need this, right? So... Mm-hmm. Great to see this. Yeah, I would add to that a couple of things. One is there was a slight negative in the first paragraph of the article, which is something we were talking about pregame, which is Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He's the linchpin because he is the designated swing vote. And so the future of this uh, performance package is uncertain right now. So, uh, you know, please, if you're anyone listening in West Virginia, please call Joe Manchin. Anybody can call Joe Manchin, actually, because he is the swing state uh, voter, the swing voter. Um I would, you know, kind of further to what Lucas said, you know, a lot of us, I think, uh, who listen are tend to be Democrat, tend to vote Democrat. But if you are listening and you're a member of the GOP and your senator and or congressperson is GOP, feel free to reach out to them, too, because there's a lot of moderate Republicans out there 
that maybe they don't do it vocally, but they quietly believe in the climate change revolution. And they know that it could lead to a lot of jobs. So I'm happy to see this package. I think it's doing all the right things. I'd like to make sure that the follow-up includes a lot of job creation, that we're not buying product that's manufactured overseas. Um, I think that is certainly possible. So it's a great article. It's a great start. And I think we are on our way. Yeah. I I mean, you you said it all right there. Joe Manchin should be trying to ensure that West Virginia gets some jobs out of this, right? That that should be, right? Ask any Republican if they'd rather be a coal miner or a solar panel installer, right? I mean, it seems pretty simple to me. And first off, uh, interesting, Paul Krugman had a piece this week about Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Less, it's something like 1% of West Virginian workers are coal miners right now. So even if you add to kind of downstream jobs to that, it's probably not more than 3 4% of West Virginia jobs. So the largest provider of jobs in West Virginia is healthcare. And you know what? Healthcare people will tell you that clean energy is important for people's health. Yeah. So listen up, Joe. Listen to us. <laughs> We're talking to you, Joe. Joe, call us if you want to be a guest. We'll have you on. Okay. So my next article is not really an article. Uh, I'm really disappointed in our listeners because they didn't call us out on the biggest news item of the past month. Uh, there was a large direct air capture industrial size plant that started operating in Iceland. It's our bad. We didn't, we didn't call it out last week. Uh, so it's the first industrial scale direct air capture. They're directly taking in air, removing carbon dioxide and putting the air back without the carbon. And then they're sequestering that, that carbon dioxide. So we wanted to first apologize for that. That was my bad. And next, what I wanted to do was give you a little more in-depth information on uh, the sequestration part. Now, sequestration is actually the hard part, in my opinion. I think it's relatively easier to capture the CO2 or pull it out, right? So like trees do it for us, plants do it for us. Right. And a lot of people are like, ah, it should be that hard. We'll just grow some trees, cut them down, bury them. Right. Well, that doesn't work because the trees break down and then they break down into natural gas, which is carbon. And then the gas seeps out. So actually sequestering it, keeping it underground is the hard part, in my opinion. So that industrial sized plant use, uses this company for the sequestration. It's called Carb Fix. Uh, they have this great um, technology where they take in CO2 that's dissolved in water. And they get that from the carbon capture part of the plant. And they mix it with basalts and some other reactive rock formations. And they form solid carbonates. And these solid carbonates would be underground and they would be locked away uh, and non-reactive. So they would be sequestered. Uh, And actually their technology allows it to happen in about two years. So this is really nice. Uh, They have this graphic here. So there would be a large reservoir underwater, uh, underground. They would pump the CO2 water in there. It would react with the, the carbonates underground and uh, form, uh, you know, it would react with the minerals underground and form the the carbonates. So yeah, 95% of injected CO2 mineralizes within two years. And this is much faster than previously thought. So I thought this was great. They have some scientific papers here if you want to read more. Um, Yeah, so this is great. I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach here. First off, uh, I love Iceland, and I think Iceland, you know, is really one of the countries that have always focused on clean energy, mainly because they have so much geothermal, right? A lot of their, you know, their economy runs off geothermal and burning right. steam from the ground, so or using steam from the ground, I should say. Um, so, number one, my question is, why is this in Iceland? Like, I feel like 
of all places where there's probably not so much pollution, Iceland would be one of those. So unless they're getting, you know, some North American winds uh, and they feel it's justifiable, I suspect they're putting it there because they're probably using cheap access to energy to create the uh, carbon sequestration, right? So great. I'm happy for the technology. Um, I still I disagree slightly. Your point, though, you say trees don't work. Trees do work if we have a massive program like the Trillion Tree Program to really kind of scale up and have an impact on bringing carbon sequestration into trees. Trees do break down, but if you replace them, like in the natural order of things, then I'm yeah. okay with it. And then the last thing I have about this, I think it's really innovative, and but I'd really want to see some economic data off this if the money that goes into this is truly the best way to spend the capital on these carbon sequestration plants, mm-hmm. as opposed to like finding new ways to just keep carbon from being generated in the first place. Uh, again, I think we have limited resources yeah. and we have to be smart about it. I think it's great that we have a demonstrator and I suspect we'll have a few more of these globally. I'd like to see more of these in places like China, which still burns a lot of coal, right? And we know mm-hmm. that they probably have pollution issues. South Korea is getting the impact of the Chinese coal burning along with their own coal burning. I'd like to see it located in areas like that that maybe start seeing some really hard data on the impact. I mean, that's a solid point. I mean, it's, it's much easier to just not put it in the air to begin with, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. And and they're not even making a dent in the total amount we need to pull out of the air, but uh, it's a start and we need to see it only scale up from here. I, I will say about the trees, I mean, you're right. Trees are good to sequester carbon, but um, I, I don't, I'd have to check the numbers, but I don't think we can grow enough trees at this point to pull out the carbon we need. And in fact, forest area in the world is still on the decline because they're increasing farmable land. So it's just a tough situation with the trees. Yeah. And I should uh, also reach out. I should mention that a good friend reached out uh, a friend from my past and my economic development days, who's been doing a lot in um, uh, switchgrass growing for biofuels. And his argument is, you know, putting trees out there is really cool. At the same time, though, don't forget about the opportunity cost of that land being used when things like switchgrass can be used. So there's all kinds of arguments that take place. uh, But I still think the trees are a great idea in complement to other initiatives, not the solution. But uh, I think our former president thought that's the only thing you need to do is plant a bunch of trees. Well, Uh, that's a great segue because, yeah, I think biofuels are a fantastic way to go because you're pulling CO2 out of the air and then you're putting it in plants and it becomes fuel and then you burn the fuel. It's cyclical, right? So you don't have to pull anything out of the ground. We're not adding anything to the air. So that's a great segue because it looks like the oil giant shell agrees with you, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) This is direct from Reuters, the new wire oil giant shell sets sights on sustainable aviation fuel takeoff. (laughs) Ha ha. Very funny by uh, Ron Buoso. This is September 20th. Uh, this is great to see. You know, we really shouldn't have to bring the, the oil majors kicking and screaming into this. They should really be leading this, which I'm hope they're finally turning that corner. Uh, they want to produce 2 million tons of low carbon jet fuel by 2025. Again, that's a good start, right? We need them to get uh, experience with this. We need them to see how this works. We need them to get buy-in. And we need them to put all their billions of resources behind stuff like this uh, so they can stop pulling fuel out of the ground like some, some oil and gas executives, Chevron, <laughs> Chevron, um, still not getting it. So happy to see Shell. We walk you with open arms. Uh, you know, aviation is a great place to start. I, I believe jet fuel is a rather low grade, so it's relatively easy to make 
um, compared to like high octane gasolines. Uh, so this is great to see. Look, they're even producing it from waste cooking oil, plants and animal fats. Uh, you know, they could cut up to 80% of aviation emissions. Um, don't look at that key car for some reason. Um, so this is great. I love to see this. Yeah. So first off, this is a great article. Uh, and going again, back to my past, when we talked about Miscanthus, uh, you know, in that whole ecosystem, when I was doing some economic development back in Ohio. I met a gentleman who was actually a friend of my brother's who leads an organization called CAFI, the Center of Advanced Aviation Fuels Initiative. Uh, it's CAFI.org. And, you know, it's really put together by the airlines. The airlines have been taking a proactive approach over the last decade. And it probably started as a marketing initiative. And now it's probably getting real traction. And um, uh, my friend who heads it, a gentleman named Steve, has done a great job of really pushing the agenda of pushing, you know, renewable fuels to be used in by the airlines. And I think, I think Virgin was one of the first ones several years ago to have a flight uh, using biofuel, one of the uh, short flights somewhere. And, you know, that doesn't surprise me given Richard Branson and, you know, his, his taking on climate change as a personal endeavor. So really happy about this article. Um, I'm going to throw another article that we don't have posted here, but anyone who subscribes to chargedevs.com, they're talking about the fact that um, United Airlines put in options for commuter aircraft that are going to be all electric, a 19-seat electric aircraft commuter that can have a range of 250 miles each way. And so, you know, between electric commuter aircraft, sustainable fuels, we're greening the aviation sector, and I think that's great. Cool. Okay, yeah, we can check that out some other time. Cool. Am I, are you done or you have one more? So I'm done. You're up. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So mine have a specific order, and we're starting with the right one. I want to take it from the small and practical things we can be doing every day, especially since it is climate week slash climate century, and taking it up to policy. And so this one is something I'm very big on. Uh, this is uh, Yahoo News. I think the Washington Post first ran it, but you can get it for free off Yahoo. Blowers, mowers, and more. American yards quietly go electric. And it's just a great article talking about the fact that people are now switching all of their lawn care equipment from gas powered to electric powered. And you know what? I am halfway there myself. So actually almost all the way there. I have an electric lawnmower. I have an electric weed whacker and I have an electric snowblower. Now for people who really live in snowbelt states, an electric snowblower probably isn't there quite yet if you have a lot of snow. So just bear that in mind. I have a small driveway and I don't really need gasoline, but um, so I have an electric one that's corded, but my electric lawnmower is fantastic. It is cordless. But the biggest advantage to this that I tell people all the time, you can get up at seven o'clock in the morning in August before it gets really hot. You can cut your yard and your neighbors are not going to be screaming at you because you're making noise because you can <laughs> barely hear the lawnmower. It's quiet. And a friend of mine said it best. It's almost like a window box fan. It just turned on its side. That's effectively what an electric lawnmower is. Yeah. It has the battery power to cut the grass. And so the reason I wanted to bring this up is most of our listeners, I bet, live in urban environments and apartments, but they probably have family members who live in suburban yard houses, et cetera. And this is the time of year when all your Lowe's and your Home Depot's are all having end of season sales on lawnmowers. So this is a great time to get out and go buy electric lawn equipment for next year. Um, you know, Lawns themselves are not very green. Think about you're cutting grass every week and that grass then either as mulch or whatever just deteriorates and you're releasing carbon in the air. So grass yards themselves are not very green. There are things you can do to green your yard by putting more shrubs, putting more dandelions, things that, you know, maybe aren't typical uh, in suburban households. 
but things that are being accepted more and more because they're just better for the environment. Um, please go electric. It's a great thing to do. I'd like to see the U.S. And, and every state and every municipality just get rid of the sales of push motors by 2025. There's no reason why we couldn't do it. I think New York's doing it, right? New York State? I don't know. I haven't seen anything. I've been trying to push it. But, um, you know, this is a small thing that everybody could be doing. It's just going out and the cost benefit ratio is down to the point that these things are worth buying. Yeah. I mean, I love my electric mower. Uh, it's quieter. It does the same job. It has no maintenance. I don't have to buy gas. I don't have to buy oil. I don't have to change the oil. I don't have to maintain it at all. I mean, it's one, it's an electric motor bolted to a, a cutter. That's it. That's so it. it's great. They talk about this in here. There's no, there's no maintenance. They also say that uh, a gas leaf blower for an hour can create as much smoke forming pollution as driving a Toyota Camry for 1100 miles. So they, these do not have the same emission controls as cars. And you should be able to tell that because they smell terrible and they're super loud. And, you know, whenever I walk down the street and I smell all that stuff, it's like, Oh God, thank God. I don't have to smell that anymore. So this is great. Yeah. If you have the option, please switch to electric as soon as you can. There's lots of options now. There's lots of powerful batteries and battery chargers that work really great. Um, please do that. You'll you'll thank me. <laughs> yes. And the one thing I'll also add to that um, statistic, I read that for every, every 30 lawnmowers that convert from gasoline to electric is the equivalent of taking one uh, gasoline-powered automobile off the road. Cool. So why not? So this is my small, we can all do it. It's a simple thing to do article of the week. Okay. The next one is kind of straddling in between. Um, this one is from Bloomberg Green. Uh, if you have, if you need a subscription, I hope you can find it elsewhere. Uh, this is from Ascat Rathi from September 14th. The cement sector has its technology to clean up its emissions. And this is an, based on an Australian company. We haven't really talked too much about Australian clean tech. So um, this is Australian-based Calix is now coming up with some ways in which you can like really lower carbon emissions from cement manufacturing. And you know, people, again, we don't think about this, the unsexy things that happen in our global economy that lead to emissions. This is the sausage making, right? We, we all want to have beautiful new sidewalks and buildings and we need cement. It's a vital part of our economy. But the emissions that the cement industry generates are, have been substantial. And I think this article actually said that like 9% of, a, of industrial emissions come from cement manufacturing. So uh, it sounds like this Australian company is coming up with a way in which you're almost segmenting the uh, use of uh, carbon. And so you're just capturing it faster and you're not using it as much. It's a great article. I totally recommend you take a look at it. Um, again, these are things that if you're in an engineering role or if you work for a large corporate that is involved in cement manufacturing, please talk to you know your management about finding ways in which you can reduce the material carbon emissions from this industry. Yeah, they, they are a huge industry. They have a huge impact. I have seen some technology that allows them to become carbon negative. I mean, you can sequester carbon in cement. I mean, it's like a rock. It's like make it a rock. So uh, yeah, I would love to see more innovation here. I think it's ripe for innovation. I think it's ripe for investment. I think it's ripe for policy too. I would like to see maybe policy drive this, give it a, a big headway, right? Give it some running room, like 10, 15 years and say, Hey, in 15 years, you have to be carbon neutral. And you know, that will drive the innovation that will drive the investment. So I'd, I'd like to see something like that. 
So I, I think I recall from um, some work I did uh, with this technology a few years ago that California is also driving the bus on, you know, putting emissions caps and mandates in place, um, or at least the companies that operate there are being good stewards. Um, I can't remember if it came from regulation or from voluntary usage uh, technology implementation, but um, I agree hundred percent, something that we need to take care of. Yeah. So it's a good article. Yep. Now, Taking this from lawnmowers to macroeconomic and <laughs> geopolitical policy, this one is what I think Lucas was striking fear into us a few minutes ago. This one also crystallizes it. Yahoo News, Ben Adler, 21 hours ago, so I think maybe September 13th, high risk of failure at critical Glasgow Climate Change Conference, UN Secretary General warns. And you have to give real credit to Secretary General Guterres, um, who warned on Monday, unless we're changing course, we're not going to get to where we need to get. The Paris Climate Accords are not going to be are not being enacted as fast as they need to be. So he's really sounding the warning signal that when this climate change conference takes place in November, people better be ready to step up with tangible, executable initiatives in your countries in order for us to get to where we need to be. Right now, we're on the pathway of 2.7 degrees Celsius heating by 2050 instead of the 1.5 that everyone agreed to be the limit. So that's a huge delta. And if we're not taking care of initiatives five years from now, seven years from now, we're not going to get there. You know, I know what you just said, Lucas, about, you know, we should give the cement industry 15 years. I would argue we need to do 10 years. Every industry that has substantial carbon generation needs to have a 10-year moonshot goal. And that's it. And it has to be something that executes on. And you know what? It's going to probably drop profit margins in the short run. But in the long run, it's going to benefit all society. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the, the tragedy of the commons, hopefully on the show many times. And, and you know, that's how I see it. And we really need to, to treat CO2 in the atmosphere as a pollutant that is polluting our air and you're breathing that pollution right now. And, and you're right, it, there has to be a balance between, between what's doable and what, you know, what we can, what we need to do to kind of save the planet from a runaway heating situation. So that that's a really tough battle and yeah we're, we're in that battle right this is it yeah agreed agreed so so i only had three articles today but i thought they were meaningful from small to macro um but you know let's each keep working on our own personal initiatives in our households and our families but then let's also push the envelope with our legislators with our business leaders everybody we should be pressuring them to really enact transparent and accountable climate change initiatives yeah, and you can also try and do anything you can. Make sure in your home where you're building, uh, you're not burning fossil fuels in the building. There's a big push, say, in New York City to move away from natural gas and non-electricity, so that's great. You know, contact your condo board, your co-op board, and say, hey, I don't want a boiler. I don't want a gas boiler. I don't want a fuel boiler in my building. So there's things you can do no matter where you live. Um, you know, buy an EV, look for EVs. Uh, look for any kind of electric alternative transportation, use a bicycle. There are lots of things you can do right now um, and, and let your friends and relatives know that they can do things right now too. So we're counting on you. Yep. I agree. I agree. So uh, another set of good articles this week. Uh, yeah. Now that we have two pirates in season four under our belts, I think uh, we'll probably start adding some guests like we used to, and we always get great feedback on our guests. So uh, I feel like the rust has been shaken off, Lucas. Yeah, yeah, we should have some good guests coming up. We're working on them, so 
uh, we should get some interesting perspectives maybe we haven't seen before. So that should be good. And, and we're going to get answers to the tough questions, right, from these people. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, too, is uh, to our listeners out there, if there's any guests that you would like to hear relative to a certain industry, let us know. We're happy to go find those uh, appropriate people. Uh, we're trying to bring objective people who can give us a look at their particular industry they work in. Sometimes they'll talk a little bit about their particular company and their product. But at the same time, we want people to be as educated as possible. Yeah, we'd love to get Mike Bloomberg. So if anybody knows Mike Bloomberg, you know, call him and then call us and let's make that happen. I feel like before we hang up, uh, it has nothing to do with climate change. I think we have to give a shout out and to the family and friends of Norm McDonald, one of my one of my favorite comedians <laughs> growing up. Nothing beat his Saturday Night Live news uh, when he was hosting the news. So we have to we have to no. toast Norm. Note to self: Don't ever forget Norm McDonald and all he did for comedy. Nice. There you go. Uh, my brother sent me a, a great one of his best lines was. Uh, you know, this year the uh, this year the the winner of some music award was better than Ezra, and the person they beat out was Ezra. <laughs> he was the best at at news at SNL. I think he was. I think I he, absolutely. And I'll tell you what: to see his comedic genius, go on YouTube and look at the just Google Norm Macdonald Conan O'Brien moth, <laughs> and listen to the moth joke that he tells. Oh, pure, pure brilliance. And it was all delivery, right? Anybody could read those lines, but they just couldn't deliver them. Like his pause and his, and his just sarcastic, deep sarcastic tone of everything. Just yeah. Classic. He was our generation Don Rickles, I think. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of paraphrasing something Courtney Thorne Smith said, but he was our generation Don Rickles and he was great at it. There you go. So, well, with that, uh, thank you, Lucas, for another great episode. Thanks, uh, Eric. Before we go, let me just say the views and opinions uh, by Lucas and I are solely those of ourselves and not organizations that we may represent. And also, uh, please, uh, when we talk about any public companies, uh, you know, we're not making an opinion one way or the other about the security of that company. Uh, and for any investment advice uh, on companies in green technology, we ask you to seek uh, a licensed representative for financial advice. So, uh, Lucas, uh, why don't you tell us right now on a very limited basis uh, how, about how people can participate in Pirates of Clean Tech and where we're at. Sure, we're on. I think you should watch us on YouTube so you see our beautiful faces and you get to go through the articles with us. So I think that's a good idea. You can find us where uh, Pirates of Clean Tech on YouTube. You click the subscribe button. And then if you want to get the alerts for when our newest video hits, you hit that little bell and then it'll pop up on your phone. It'll say, hey, the new episode is up and then you'll be the first to know. Uh, we're also on your favorite podcast site, pretty much we're on more than 10 podcast sites, I think. And so you can just search for Pirates of Clean Tech and click subscribe, and then you'll get our latest podcast that you can listen to at your leisure. We're, we're for instance, we're on Apple, um, podcast. So now that that was out of the way, uh, let's wrap up. I'm Eric Planey. I'm Lucas Finko. And we are the Pirates of Clean Tech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.